Well, let me first of all begin by a word of commendation to our own Mark and Danielle. What did y'all think about that word last week? Wasn't that powerful? Man, chaos, peace in the chaos. It was such an appropriate word and a great word for us to just kind of go through this year. So thank you very much. And Willie, thank you. Felicity also helping you for leading our worship last week. So excited about many, many more times just like that. Man, such a blessing. And Robin, thank you for your words at the table. Uh, You took us to a good place right before we remembered together. And Nathan, what you did this morning, oh my goodness, that... I just love that. The bread they ate, it made me want to preach about that. I may have to throw this away and just start, start anew. Such a good word. And another word of commendation to many, many volunteers who helped us through these last two weeks to get everything moved out of the warehouse. Robin's brother, Phil, was so gracious to let us use that for over two years, all of the church assets. So we, we were able to keep it there, and y'all, he didn't charge us a dime. A, a, a storage unit that was 25 by 100, about two or three stories tall. And we just had everything packed in there. Yesterday, finishing that up, our volunteers were Jason and Camille, Mark Sanchez, Nathan, Isaac, Gabe, and Samuel. And man, you guys knocked it out. And so, so grateful. We have much to be thankful for. Let's just pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for the people who have such a heart of service. We do want to be loving this community the way that you do and serving this community the way that you do, that it might multiply for your glory. Thank you for all of the people that helped out with the service last week and for all of the volunteers that helped this week in getting us all moved out of that warehouse. All of it. We give you praise. In Jesus' name, amen. So to all of you online and uh, in-house, welcome. Now let's just jump right into this. I think... A major part of our purpose as Christ followers is to ever remind one another of the second coming. I think it needs to be more public. I think it needs to be more vocal. I think it needs to be more on our minds and in our conversations to make sure that we're ready, to make sure that we're prepared, to make sure that we're good to go that we're good to go. And perhaps there is no better text to study on that topic than in the beginning of the last book in your Bible, the book of Revelation. And I know it's kind of dimly lit in here, and I'm just going to say this too one more time. Every time you see that that drop come down here, you know what I'm talking? Yeah, I know. Every time you see that, I want you to offer a little prayer that says, God, thank you that this building is going to be rebuilt. So every time you see that, you see that drop just in your mind, thank you that it's going to be rebuilt. And Father, the faster the better. It's just something like that. Just something quick. Every time you see it, just offer a quick little prayer. Okay. The apostle John was banished in exile to an island named Patmos. A short distance off the coast at that time of what was known as Asia Minor, which is what we now know as Turkey. And while on that island, John had a most fantastic vision. And fantastic is a not strong enough word. Jesus commissioned an angel to start it all off in this vision that John experienced. It was a word first to be sent to seven churches in Asia. So look how this angel begins the text. John to the seven churches in the province of Asia. 
grace and peace to you from him who is and who was and who is to come and from the seven spirits before his throne and from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead and the ruler of the kings of the earth to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and has made us to be a kingdom of priests to serve his God and Father. To him be glory and power forever and ever. Amen. Here's your second coming reverence. Look, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him, and all peoples on earth will mourn because of him. So shall it be. Amen. Now, the second coming of Christ is certain. The second coming will be seen by everyone who has ever lived. And the second coming of Christ will be filled with mourning, with deep lament. Why? Because Christ's holiness will be on full display. You see, the light of his glory will expose the darkness of sin, and we will be all too well aware of how different our lives are in contrast to his full display of glory. We will actually hear Jesus say, I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. Now, Christ's authority, authority has been allowed to be questioned for now. Christ's power has been allowed to be doubted for now. And Christ's identity has been allowed to be denied for now. But a day is coming when all of these questions and doubts and denials will be no more. Disbelief is allowed to exist for a season now, but one day soon, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is in fact the risen Lord and the King of Kings. So John begins writing what he saw and heard. Here's your text. I, John, your brother and companion in the suffering and kingdom and patient endurance that are ours in Jesus was on the island of Patmos because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. On the Lord's day, I was in the spirit and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet, which said, write on a scroll what you see and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. I turned around to see the voice that was speaking to me, and when I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And among the lampstands was someone like a son of man, dressed in a robe, reaching down to his feet with a golden sash around his chest. The hair on his head was white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were like blazing fire. His feet were like bronze glowing in a furnace, and his voice was like the sound of rushing waters. In his right hand, he held seven stars, and coming out of his mouth was a sharp double-edged sword. His face was like the sun shining in all its brilliance. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. 
Then he placed his right hand on me and said, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead, and now look, I'm alive forever and ever, and I hold the keys of death and Hades. Write, therefore, what you have seen, what is now and what will take place later, the mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand and the seven golden lampstands is this. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. So Revelation begins with Jesus telling John to get this message to the church. Seven churches will be for the second time listed by name starting in chapter 2. Only this time additional explanations will be given as to what they were doing well and areas in which they needed to change. Now, before we dive, and that's what we're going to talk about for the next several weeks. But before we dive into that message to those churches, I want us to back up just a little bit in this introductory sermon. The title of this book, Revelation, literally means to uncover. It's an unveiling. In fact, the word apocalypse is the Greek word for revelation. So here at the start, Jesus is uncovering or he is unveiling some truths that he wants delivered to these churches. Now, these words or messages seem to be addressed to seven specific churches, but the applications can be made to congregations everywhere. Okay, so I think I need, in all fairness, to let you know that there is some difference among biblical scholarship as to exactly what all this is going on. Some scholars have suggested that these seven named churches represent all churches. And certainly, the number seven is frequently used in Revelation over 30 times, in fact. It talks about seven years, seven seals, seven trumpets, seven angels, seven bowls, seven plagues, and so on. So maybe seven churches was John continuing this theme of seven that he has throughout his report. Other scholars actually suggest that each of these seven churches represent a specific time in history. In other words, Ephesians, some say, would be the early church, and the church at Smyrna would be the persecuted church. Pergamum would be the popularized church. Remember when Constantine just made it the national church? And then Thyatira would be the church in the Dark Ages. Sardis would be the church during the Reformation. Philadelphia, the revival church. And then Laodicea, the lukewarm church of today. And then there'll be other scholars that will come right behind that. And they will say, no, all of these seven churches, they exist today right now. So they all, you know, kind of argue. Well, whatever the correct interpretation, there are always many applications. So let's take whatever encouragement and warnings that might apply to us, and let's just leave the duking it out to the Bible scholars. <laughs> I, I, I'm not, I really don't have a, 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 a dog in this fight. But I do want you to know where the different points of view are so that you can take it to prayer. See what God may be saying to you and your family. Notice that Jesus says that the seven golden lampstands are the seven churches, not a brass lampstand, not iron, not silver, but gold. I think this is speaking of something very significant. It's speaking of worth. 
The church is very valuable. Now, you live in a society and a culture that is trying to write the church off, is trying to present it as irrelevant, and that it's not helpful. But just because your society and culture is saying that doesn't mean it's true. You know, somebody says you just keep repeating something that's not true over and over again. Eventually, it's accepted. Well, you're hearing this message over and over again, but it's yours to say, you know, that's just not true. It's compared to a golden lampstand. It's valuable. You live in a world that wants you to think that you don't need the church and the church doesn't need you. But y'all hear me out. That's not true. You do need the church and the church needs you. I'm talking the local congregation. It needs you, and you need it. God, in his infinite wisdom, chose to use this living organization filled with imperfect beings to be his instrument of change in the world. And the fact that God can use fallen human beings filled with selfishness and sin to accomplish something good is testimony to his transformative powers. Man, the fact that he can do something good out of the likes of you guys, goodness. <laughs> Me too. God refers to the church as a lampstand, which means we are to be light in a dark world. And of course, it's Jesus shining in us and through us. Look what he said in John 8, 12. I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And when Jesus explained this in his famous Sermon on the Mount, he said, you are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand. And it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Excuse me, man, one of those songs just got me. I just can't quit running at the nose. If somebody could give me a Kleenex, I'd really appreciate that. If you can find one here handy. Now, it was for Jesus' intention that he would live in and through us as his followers in order that God would be glorified. This fallible, fumbling body of Jesus' believers is the God-designed vehicle to shine in the darkness. Now, look at these two statements. I stand by them. Our faith isn't in the church. Our faith is in the designer of the church who used the church to carry out his will in the world. You weren't saved to be in the church. You were saved to be the church. Do you see the difference? It's not like you get in this ship and then everything's cozy and nice and we've got all this seed bouncing around in here that's supposed to be out there. No, no. You're to be the church. You are the church. Church is in the building. It's you. And there is no better way for the church to be the church than to regularly meet together for accountability and encouragement and most of all, worship. Now, I, I got to pause here just a second. When you worship him in song, in heart, in prayer, at the word, in your giving, 
You are doing what you were designed to do. And if worship is something, if you're online and you're listening to this and you say, you know, I just don't need to do the worship stuff. Let's just get through that and then listen to the word. If you're more interested in being worshipped than in worshipping, well, you've got to have a complete 180. Because you weren't created to be worshipped. And if it isn't a part of your DNA to be a worshipper, you're not living in your function. We have to worship because it's who we are. We are worshipers. Have you noticed how much better we live when little ones are watching us? Especially in the context of church. Think about it. Our words are better. Our actions are better. We tend to be more selfless. We generally are quicker to share. Being around our younger generation keeps us on our toes in our speech and conduct. Isn't that one of the reasons or benefits of attending church services regularly? Listen, we want our littles to benefit in every way possible to live a good, holy life. We take them to church. And don't you find it most interesting that the very first words John heard from the powerful mouth of Jesus Christ on this epic vision of heaven was what's on that screen. Write on the scroll what you see and send it to the seven churches. The very first words out of Jesus' mouth to John in heaven was, I need you to get a word to my church. Because Jesus uses the church to communicate his love to the world. We are the vessel Christ uses, chooses to use in the world. Now, I know it's hard to always make church gatherings and church activities and church functions and church get-togethers a priority. I'm, I know that's hard, but let me tell you something. It is worth it. It's worth it because, well, let me just say it this way. A couple of months ago, I came across this from one of my old friends on Facebook, and I copied it down, and I thought, you know, I'm going to have to use that sometime. I'm supposed to use it right now this morning. Look at this. Bring them to church. Saturate their lives with the Word of God. Even if they lay on the floor, even if they need 437 goldfish and a sucker to be quiet. Even if you stand in the back, swaying back and forth, holding them. Even when it's hard, even when your role looks like a small hurricane just came through. Bring them to church. Let them see you worship. Let them see you pray. Let them see you running toward the Savior. Because if they don't see and learn these things from you, who are they going to learn them from? The world will teach them it's not a priority. The world will teach them it's okay to lay out, not to pick up their Bibles. The world will direct them so far off course, confuse them, and misinform them that just being good is enough. The world won't teach them about Jesus. Bring them to church. Do you all see what happened when the Buffalo Bills' safety was hurt badly? Damar Hamlin. It's something that you'll watch one time if you see it, and you won't watch it again. He suffered a severe injury two Monday nights ago in a game against the Bengals. The injury was so awful that the entire game was suspended. And then something totally unexpected happened. All 32 NFL teams included 
pray for DeMar on their Twitter accounts. ESPN's Dan Orlovsky prayed for this football player by name on live TV. Countless fans and other concerned observers said on social media that they were praying and dozens linked arms outside his Cincinnati hospital. And Ellen Harnish wrote what's on the screen. When Tim Tebow took a knee on the field, the world laughed and mocked him. When a coach in Washington prayed after football games on the field, he was fired. Yet on Monday night, January 2, 2023, the injury of one NFL player made prayer all okay again. God works in ways we do not comprehend. All it took was one man to bring the country back to its knees. May that sudden urgency for God remain with us. May we see that daily prayer is good too. And may we not only pray for the healing of Damar Hamlin, but for the healing of all mankind. When people gather to pray, that's church. When people gather to pray, light begins to pierce the darkness. When people gather in the name of Jesus, good things happen. You see, when the church lifts up its voice and sings, the sound marches in like thunder, and the Spirit bursts out in a mighty flood, and salvation runs for everyone. That's the church. It's a vessel. It's, it's, it's this rescue outpost for people to find what they need on their way home. Father, in the name of Jesus, we just pray that you would speak to us through these next weeks about your message to your church and that it would light a fire under us and that we would be more active in our conversations with others. Father, we're singing this song at the top of our lungs. Hear our hearts. This is what we say in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, church, let's stand and let's sing this.